let us pray and ask God to do just that. Lord God, we ask that you would bless the reading and the proclamation of your word today. We are needy. We need you to help us to understand. We need you, Lord, to help us apply and see the significance of this passage for our own lives. And Lord, we desperately need you to help us to live it. Help us, we pray, Lord, through the strength of your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we've said, today is a very special day here at Riverside because in just a short while, we're going to formally ordain a new elder over us. Drew Regan has been a member of this church now for many years, from little on. And he has served as our youth leader, he has served as our music leader, and he has preached and taught and faithfully ministered to our congregation in numerous ways over the last many years. And after much thought, and after much prayer, and after much encouragement from other church leaders over the last couple of years, he expressed his desire to serve as an elder here at Riverside. He then embarked upon a year-long apprenticeship with our elders, wherein he learned firsthand how we go about shepherding this congregation on a weekly basis, how we as a group prioritize the word of God and prayer, how we deal with both challenges and joys, and how we highly respect our God-given ministry to this congregation. He then completed a series of personal, doctrinal, and philosophical examinations, testifying that he is in line with our church and its elders on our essential doctrines and practices. And finally, a few months ago, he was announced to our membership as a candidate for elder. He participated in a question and answer session with the congregation itself. And then he was voted on last week with a unanimous vote of our body, affirming him as our next elder. And this was all the working of God behind the scenes as he called Drew for this ministry and then moved the hearts of the people of this church to affirm him. It was all God doing it. And today, in just a short while, we are going to symbolize this calling by laying our hands upon Drew, asking God to bless his ministry to our local church. So, praise God from whom all blessings flow. He has done this. But before we do this happy thing, I want us to take a close look at the biblical role of elder and apply the importance of this office to each of our lives. Today we're going to be considering, as Nolan just read for us, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Just one verse. But before we do that, let me first provide a word of context for this text. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ who had been sent out by God to preach the good news about Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is giving his last words to the elders at the church at Ephesus, a congregation that he had invested in heavily. Look with me and see how God worked through Paul and with the people of that city. You're probably in chapter 20, just flip back to chapter 19 and let's see him there in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, look with me at verses 8 through 10. It says, and he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18 of chapter 19. Also, many of those who were now believers came, this is still Ephesus, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, a tremendous amount of money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What this tells us here in chapter 19 is that the Spirit of God had brought incredible success to Paul's ministry to to these Ephesians. So that the word of God was spreading through them and they were even so devoted to God that they were burning their very expensive books of magic. In other words, they were repenting of their sins. They were living a life of ongoing repentance of sins because of whom they had found in Jesus Christ. God had done this through Paul. But about this time, the enemy was aiming his arrows at Paul. And warnings were now beginning to reach his ears from one place after another that persecution was about to head his way. So Paul, in Acts 20, he called to himself the elders of the Ephesian church as he's traveling back to the land of Israel. And he calls these Ephesian elders to himself one last time for some teaching and some encouragement. Look in Acts 20, look at verse 17. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. So he's in the town of Miletus. He tells the elders of the Ephesians to come to him so that he can give them one last moment of instruction before he heads back to the land of Israel. And notice what Paul told them was going to be coming his way. Look at verse 22. And now behold, he says to these elders... I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Paul's message to these Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 stands as his last face-to-face words to these fellow pastors, leading them, as verse 27 tells us, excuse me, verse 37 tells us, to great sorrow. So, that's the context. So, what is Paul going to say to these guys? These pastors of this local church. What are his last face-to-face words to be with these elders of this church? Well, the answer is found in our text. Now, two points regarding biblical eldership from Acts 20, verse 28. Number one... An elder must understand the nature of the church. Number two, an elder must understand the gravity of his calling. Number one this morning, an elder must understand the nature of the church. First of all, he must comprehend the meaning of that word, church. Verse 28 says... Look towards the end, or towards the middle, rather. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And that word church is one we have used since many of us were very young. But we don't, don't oftentimes, oftentimes take a moment to actually think about what the word means. The word church, or the word ekklesia in the original Greek, literally refers to an assembly of people who gather for some special purpose, or to a congregation of people who come together in a certain place for a particular reason. For instance, in the Greco-Roman world at that time, this word, ecclesia, or church, was used to refer to legislative bodies which came together to address political needs. Well, as this word church is used here in verse 28... It refers to a local congregation of gospel believers who gather regularly in a shared commitment to worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. 
And though the word church is often used in the New Testament to refer to all Christians in a universal sense, meaning the church made up of all believers in Jesus at all times and in all places, here in verse 28 and in other parts of the New Testament, this word church refers to a local body of Christians who gather together in their shared commitment to King Jesus. This is referring here to a local church, in particular, the local church at Ephesus, another city. Now let me give an example of a local church and how it's described. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, and he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So he's writing to a church, and he writes to a church in a specific place in the city of Corinth. He's not writing to all Christians everywhere, but in a localized way to the church that is in the city of Corinth. He says a little later in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, when you come together as a church, when you congregate, when you assemble, when you come together, when you church, like a verb, when you do church, when you come together, that's how he uses it, in a local body. Now, this is actually important for an elder to understand because he will be directly responsible not for every believer everywhere during his days on earth, but for those believers who are a part of his local congregation, his local gathering of Christians, his local church. An elder at Riverside is not responsible for the members of another solid gospel preaching church in the, town, in the, in the state of Massachusetts, or the state of Iowa for that matter. A, 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 an elder at Riverside is responsible to elder, to shepherd, to pastor the people of Riverside. And a right understanding of the church will help him to see that. And in turn, every church member has a responsibility toward not every elder of every other local church, but to the elders of his or, own, his or her own particular local church. So our responsibility is to the elders whom God has put over us, and our elders' responsibility is to the church that God has given to them. Secondly, an elder must respect the divine owner of the church. Look again at verse 28. He says, to care for the church of God. This expression of God speaks to ownership. It is saying more than simply the church of God's likeness or the church of God's worshipers. Now this is pointing out to us the one who stands over each local church as its creator and therefore its proprietor, its possessor, its owner. Listen again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, but this time I'll read a little more of the verse. Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Again, this is a church of God, and they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are made holy, in other words, by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God makes them holy through his Son, Jesus Christ. And he says they are called to be saints together. So God calls them, he elects them, he sovereignly ordains them to be his holy ones. In other words, he, he makes them his own and he makes them holy. They are his. And this too is important for an elder to respect because at the end of the day, the people shepherded by an elder in a local church are not his people. For they are God's. Though he's been given a stewardship, a responsibility to them, the members of a local church do not belong to an elder, and he must understand that, for the people of a local church belong to God. Third, an elder must appreciate the high cost of the church. Again, verse 28 says, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. My friends, the church came at a high cost to our Lord God. 
each member of each local church and every member of the church universal who has ever lived was once separated from God due to their rebellious nature and sin against him. And the only way for the church of God to be his was for an unimaginably high price to be paid. And what was that price? His own blood. What was the cost? His own blood. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter, who in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed, that's a word that is very similar to purchase or to buy something. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. How did he do this? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God has ransomed or purchased his people. He has obtained his people to make his people his own through the blood of his son, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who like a spotless lamb laid his life down as a sacrifice for God's sinful people. And listen to what Paul, what Paul would later say to these Ephesian people, the same people here and the rest of the congregation, when he wrote to them later from a Roman prison cell. So these are his last face-to-face words here in Acts 20, but later he would write to them from a Roman prison cell. And he would say at the beginning of that letter in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul will again remind these Ephesians that in Jesus Christ we have redemption. That's another word that resembles purchasing, buying something. In him we have redemption. And what was the price that was paid? Through his blood according to the riches of his grace. God has bought his people, and the price he paid was the shed blood of his own son, who, like a spotless lamb, was sinless in all of his ways, willingly, out of love and obedience, went to the cross, laid his life down, shedding his blood for you and for me, if we know him. And three days later, rose again triumphantly, so that all God's people who turn to Jesus in repentant faith are bought and paid for forever with all of their sins gone. And my friends, this is vital for every elder to grasp because Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became a man, surrendered his sinless life, shedding his own blood to purchase the people of his church himself that they would be his people. And when an elder fully understands this, he will, in turn, highly value the people whom Jesus has purchased. How do you learn to love people who can be challenging? How do you learn to love people who don't always appreciate your ministry? You learn to love them because you recognize the high price that Jesus Christ paid to redeem them. An elder must know that or he will burn out quick. And when an elder understands this, he will also make this work of Jesus the central message of his ministry. He will recognize that all points in the Bible are like an arrow that point right to Jesus Christ and his accomplishment on the cross and at the empty tomb. And that will be the focal point of his teaching, of his preaching, of his counseling, of his ministry to the congregation. Because what we need most is not a moralism. What we need most is the gospel of Jesus. So my friends, do you grasp the high price that God paid to purchase his church. My friends, God paid a high price so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He has given you elders, even here today, to proclaim to you that God has paid a high price to pay for your sins. So, my friends, 
Will you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus receiving his free gift of salvation today? Secondly, this morning, an elder must not only understand the nature of the church, but an elder must understand the gravity of his calling. He must understand the gravity of his calling. First of all, he must know who ultimately called him. Look at verse 28 once again. It says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This word overseers is the word episkopus in the original Greek. It's where we get our English word episcopal. This refers to one who has the responsibility of safeguarding something. It refers to an official role of one who stands as a guardian over the church. Thus elders are those called out men who serve local churches as Guardians, like security guards, men who are on alert, guardians of gospel truth and protectors of each member's walk with God. Armed with the sword of the word, they go about keeping watch as guardians over the flock to ensure that any dangers are properly handled. And as you might guess, this is an extremely serious task not for the faint of heart but who put them in this role who gave them such a position well faithful men of God are ultimately put over the churches of God by none other than the spirit of God again verse 28 in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers the Holy Spirit sovereignly draws men to this high task. He forms their desires for this good ministry. He forges their hearts that they might endure the hot crucible of its many challenges. And he powerfully directs his people to place them over the church. Elders are not ultimately put in place by men though the men and women of the church have an important role at this, no elders are put in place by God. Hold your hand here in Acts 20, but go back with me to Acts 13. Acts 13. And look with me at verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice in that passage four things. Notice, first of all, that the church had some solid men teaching it. That God had given it some solid men to instruct it. Secondly, notice that the church was humbly seeking the Lord's will. They were praying, they were fasting, asking God to work. And third, notice that the Holy Spirit told them. We don't know how he told them. The Holy Spirit told them to set apart two men specifically. Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, as his name would later be changed. The Holy Spirit told them to set apart two men for a very special work of gospel ministry to the nations, to the Gentiles. And then fourth, upon receiving the Spirit's directing here in Acts 13, the church laid hands on these men and they sent them off. So who did the calling? Who did the sending? Well, ultimately, it was the Spirit of God. Yes, the church had an important role here, but ultimately it was the Holy Spirit who directed the calling of these men. And, and so it is with every called out man who faithfully shepherds the church of the Lord. He is made an overseer by God himself. Secondly, an elder must realize how he was called. He must realize not just who called him, 
but how he was called. Look back at chapter 20, and look at verse 28 again. It says that an elder is made an overseer by the Holy Spirit, but how does this happen? In our day and age today, in my opinion, because we have the complete Bible, and because miraculous manifestations of God himself appear to no longer be his ordinary means of directing his people, we have to ask, how do we know who the Spirit is making an overseer? How do we know who the Spirit is actually calling to be an elder? Well, first of all, it begins with a desire in that man of God. Again, hold your hand here in Acts 20 and flip over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 932. 1 Timothy chapter 3. How do we know who the Spirit is calling as an elder? Well, first of all, it begins with a desire in a man of God. 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 1 with me. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Notice some key words in this verse aspires it's very similar to desire a yearning sense and then he uses this word uses this word desire here he desires a noble task any man who is put over a church in that kind of a role it begins with that christian man having a heart desire for this noble office not every man has that it begins with this desire of his heart to want to go and minister the word, to preach and to teach, to help, to counsel, to encourage, to use the word and to use prayer as tools to help God's people grow from one place to the next. And to help people who don't know Jesus Christ to come to know Jesus Christ in a very formal, shepherdly way. It begins with desire. Secondly, though, this heart desire is affirmed by that man's character and ability. There may be lots of people who have the desire. I've had a number of people who have come to me over the years and have said, I think God wants me to be a missionary or God wants me to be a pastor. But I look at the individual's life and I say, you know, there's some things I think you need to work on, my friend, before you can really affirm that. And within a short amount of time, that person has quickly moved on to other desires. So how do we affirm that desire? Well, look at verses 2 through 7. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So this desire in a Christian man is affirmed before others as they witness his godly character and even his teaching ability. It's not just enough for the man to want it. It has to be proven over time by his character and by his God-given ability to be able to take God's word and, and explain it to God's people. That's second. Third, flip over with me one chapter to chapter 4, verse 14. Third, after this man has desired it, and after he has publicly shown that he's of character and of ability to do it, this man is to be formally affirmed by the church as it is led by other elders. Look at verse 14. Paul says again to Timothy, a young pastor, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, there is a great deal that could be said about this verse, right? But the point that I want to make is that at one point in time, 
the council of elders of Timothy's local church, and by the way, he was at one point the pastor most likely of the church at Ephesus. But at one point in time, the council of elders of Timothy's local church, they laid their hands on him, signifying that the Holy Spirit of God had indeed ordained this man to minister. He desired the ministry. His character and his ability showed that he was the guy for that ministry. And now the church, led by these elders, come along and say, yes, it's clear. God has called you to this ministry. It's not just the man's desire. It's the church's affirmation. So how do we know who the Spirit is calling as an elder? Well, he gives a man of God the desire, a heart yearning for the office. That desire is affirmed as legitimate by his proven character and gifting. And then that desire is finally affirmed by the local church itself, which officially sets him aside for that role. Essentially, my friends, the Holy Spirit of the church works through the people of the church to ordain elders over the church. The Spirit works, my friends, through us. Third, back in Acts 20, verse 28, an elder must recognize that his first duty is to himself. An elder must recognize that his first duty is to himself. Look again at verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This expression, pay careful attention, refers to being in a state of alertness. To being on watch for dangers. Now I have already described that that word overseer in this verse, which means a church guardian. But now here we see this word overseer actually performed. He pays careful attention. So this man remains, these guys remain in a state of alertness. They're on the watch for dangers. His head is on a swivel, so to speak, for any dangers towards spiritual well-being. The Old Testament commonly used this expression when warning the people of Israel. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Only take care, same phrasing in the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 4, 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Take care. Pay careful attention, lest everything that you believe now begin to fall away. And Jesus also used this expression when he spoke to his disciples. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, he said to them, same word, but watch yourselves, or pay careful attention to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Be on the alert, be on watch, pay careful attention to yourselves, he says. And notice in verse 28, notice it very carefully, the first place where Paul wants these Ephesian elders to pay careful attention, he says, to yourselves. My friends, an elder's first priority is actually not to the flock. It is not to the membership of the local church. Rather, an elder's first priority is to his own walk with God so that he not be tripped up by idolatry. His first priority is to his own efforts towards holiness so that he does not fall into sinful complacency. His first priority is to his own soul dangers so that he is not led astray by the messaging of this world. His first priority is to his own doctrine, his own teaching, which if not watched carefully could direct him away from the good doctrine of God, the gospel. In fact, my friends, an elder's most important ministry moment is not when he is preaching. It is not when he is teaching. It is not when he is praying with a hurting saint. It is not when he is counseling a grief-stricken Christian. And it is not even when he is leading a lost sinner to Christ. 
An elder's most important ministry moment is that daily time he shares in communion with God around his word and in prayer for his own soul. An elder's first priority is to feed himself God. And understand, my friends, this is vital, not only for that elder's spiritual well-being, but also for the well-being of the rest of the church. Because Paul says to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, these words. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers why is it so important for an elder to keep a close watch on himself and his teaching why is it so important that he persists in this in order to ensure that he himself is saved and in order to ensure that all of his hearers are saved the salvation of others is on the line therefore an elder must keep a close watch on himself and on his teaching because what the congregation needs is a man of God who loves God, who is close with God, who can go and proclaim the word of God as one who has been praying with God so that God will work through that man and reach his people. If he comes to you and he's complacent and he hasn't given God first priority in his life, that man comes to you with mere words, mere flesh, and all you will get from him is flesh. No, you need a man of spirit. And fourth, an elder must recognize that his second duty in his ministry is to his church. Verse 28, once again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The word flock, of course, uses the image of sheep to describe Christians, stubborn, rebellious Followers of Jesus Christ who make up local churches. An elder is to pay careful attention to the people of his own church. He is to remain in a state of alertness for them. He is to be on watch for dangers that might come to them. He is to have his head on a swivel for any threat towards their spiritual well-being. As Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus says, Wolves are all around you, my men, though they may look just like you for a time. So keep watch over them and protect your people. But what wolves... Do the flock of God need protection from in our day, you might ask? How do we take what Jesus said, and how do we take Paul's warning to these Ephesian elders here and bring it to our day? What wolves do the flock of God need protection from in our day? Well, these wolves, just like in that day, generally come by way of false messaging. They subtly promote a shallowness of doctrine in the local church as a pragmatic way to build up bigger congregations in a quicker amount of time. They disseminate a watered-down gospel that neglects repentance towards sin as well as necessary transformation of a sinner's heart. And with these, they add many other messages which press against the church today, like urging political brashness over gospel humility, or enticing with cultural entertainments instead of showcasing the delights, the delights of a big God, or emphasizing the colossal falsehood that if you just give enough money, and if you just have enough faith, you indeed can enjoy your best life now and that all your fleshly desires will be granted to you. They promote lies. And the flock faces the danger of these. And they need careful attention. 
This is why Paul directs these elders to pay careful attention to the church of God and even to care for the church of God. That verb to care for is where we get our English word pastor. Pastor. It means to shepherd, referring to one who guides and then feeds sheep. It is to care for needy sheep by making sure that they are watered and fed and protected. Well, an elder's duty to his church is to pastor the church by guiding it and caring for it, primarily by way of teaching it. Notice how here in chapter 20, Paul had performed the same pastoral role towards them, these Ephesians. Look at verse 18. It says that when he came to him, when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Hear this. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 26 and 27. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. My friends, in verse 20, Paul says he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable. Translation, Paul faithfully taught them the word of God. He taught them, verse 20 says. Verse 21 says he testified to them. And in verse 27, he says he had taught them the whole counsel of God. In other words, he did not keep any of God's truth back. He didn't say, this little bit is unpleasant right now. They're not going to like this, so I'm going to keep this from them. He brought them all of God's good counsel, all of God's word. He didn't come and say, if you just pray a prayer, you're good. You could keep on living the life you've always lived, Ephesians. No, he preached them the doctrine of repentance, that you must turn from your sins and embrace Jesus in faith, and then you will embark upon a life of transformation wherein you will begin to look different from this day until the next, until the day you see Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, he didn't hold back. There will be savage wolves who will come and they will hurt you. He didn't hold back. He told them the whole counsel of God's word. Paul was a pastor. An elder will keep a careful watch over the church of God. He will guard the church of God, and he will care for the church of God primarily by teaching God's word to the church of God. He will give them the food that they need. So there's a twofold application to this second point. Number one, a question for you. Are you helping your elders put their first duty first? Are you helping your elders Put their first duty first. Are you helping them put their own walk with God, their own walk of holiness, their own efforts to grow, their own relationship with God and communion with God and fellowship with God and devotion to God? Are you helping them do that first? Or are they so bogged down by all the things that the membership of the church should be doing that they lose sight of the number one thing? Help them in this, my friends, by first of all praying for their spiritual well-being. I don't mean once. I don't mean here in a moment when we pray for Drew, you echo along and say amen. I mean you make the commitment that the elders, plural, whom God has graciously put over you, will be the men whom you pray for constantly. And will you, secondly, give faithfully to support the ministry they oversee? 
And I don't mean just merely monetary support. I mean support with your gifts, your abilities. Will you jump in? Will you be in both feet, both arms, ready to serve with your mind, with your heart, with your giftings? Yes, with your dollars. So that the church they pastor will be one that is blessed by the ministry of the flock. And then third, will you encourage their wives and their children? Because the number one casualties in the war of the church are the wives and the children of pastors who quickly burn out because they just can't take it anymore. There's just too much conflict. There's just too much sorrow. It's just too hard. They get too little support and they quit. I'm not just talking about vocational guys. I'm talking about guys who serve without a paycheck year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, and very little encouragement is given to them, and very, very little encouragement is given to the spouse who gives up time, who gives up energy, who hears about the conflicts, who's just as much in those conflicts as her husband is, and the kids who have to sit through it all. Are you there for them? And then fourth, to help them in their first duty, are you actually holding them accountable for their own walks with God? When was the last time you came up to an elder and said, hey, friend, what are you reading in God's word right now? What has God been teaching you lately? Hey, brother, are you having difficulties with your walk with God? Are there things that are keeping you from it? And how can I help you with that? Now, in the American church, shockingly, we somehow think that that's an awkward question to ask of people. But do you know what elders in local churches want? They want people in their local churches who love them enough to ask them hard questions like that. And then to take those hard questions so seriously that they will invest in those men. They will pray for those men. They will care for those men. And they will serve the local church that, th that those men also serve. Will you hold them accountable for their own walks with God and serve them in this way? That's the first question. The second question in response to this is, are you appreciating your elders' role as guardians of your own spiritual welfare? Are you appreciating your elders' plural role as guardians of your own spiritual welfare? You can appreciate them by first of all, again, praying faithfully to their ministry over you. Truly engaging God, asking him to work in these men who toil to minister the word, who toil to pray, who toil to oversee and to guard and to watch and to care. Are you praying for these men? And with this, are you receiving their teaching and their admonishment humbly? When worship happens, when the gathering occurs, and one of them gets up to teach, and I understand it's normally me, but I'm speaking collectively, one of them gets up to preach. Or when a foundations class is, is being held, or, or your small group is meeting, and, and one of them is, is overseeing it. Are you there, first of all? Have you made the priority to the body the priority of your life? And when you're there, are you listening? Are you prompt? Are you there on time? Or are you 20 minutes late? Are you there to hear the word of God? Are you to engage with what they're teaching you, both in prayer and in song and in proclaimed words? Are you there and are you present and are you prompt? And while you're there, are you humbly receiving it? Not just hearing it going in one ear and out the other. Not just being a mere hearer of the word. But are you hearing the word and then seeking prayerfully to put it to practice? You want to know what delights an elder's heart? more than anything else, seeing someone respond to his teaching and go and have his or her life changed. And then third, you can appreciate those guys by not abandoning them by turning small things into big things. There are reasons to leave a church. There are. There are reasons to set aside a particular group of elders or church leaders and to go on to others. There are. They're almost always doctrinal. They're almost always having something to do with sin 
doctrine or sin in the man's life, the men's life that they're not dealing with. And you may have reason to leave a church, but most often people leave churches and they abandon their elders who have committed to them because they don't like something that's really not all that important. I love you, my friends. You've had a hard few years. Let me tell you, it is rotten to leave a church over small, piddly things when you have in your church elders who love you and pour into you. Don't do that. Don't see the grass is greener somewhere else when, when you find out what that grass is really like, you realize that it's got just as many brown spots as the other place. Don't abandon those guys by turning small things into big things. Commit to their leadership over your life for decades or until God calls you home or God calls you to some other location. All that being said, I want to ask Drew and our elders to come up here tonight, this, <laughs> this morning, this afternoon almost. We love this guy. We are thankful that we get the privilege of serving with this guy. Drew, God has given you a good desire. He has affirmed it, not by your perfection, but by your qualified character and your ability to communicate God's word to his people. We agree with you in doctrine. We are thankful for your philosophy. And we are excited today to formally, though God has already chosen you, we are formally, we're, we're delighted today to formally pray over you and receive you into the, mem into the leadership of our church as an elder. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for Drew. Lord, what a wonderful moment it is to see a young man whom you've raised up in this church, who, Lord, stuck with the church through hard times, and is willing, Father, to put his time and energies and emotions on the line, Lord, to be able to serve it. I pray, Lord, that you would please bless his ministry. Give us a season of spiritual growth and even conversions, Father, as he serves our local church as an elder, as an overseer, as a pastor. Bless our congregation and help us, Lord, to support this man and to support Alex and Olivia and any foster kids that come into their home or any other children that you provide for them, Lord. Let us be a blessing to them. Let us be there to hear his teaching. Let us grow as a result of it. Let us be faithful, Father, for how you're working in him and using him, I pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for you have done this this day. We give you all the praise and all of the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.